Welcome to the Sailing into Oblivion podcast, where we hear stories from everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. All right, we are going to continue on with the Appalachian Trail adventure. So last time we left off, I was in West Virginia, or Virginia, in Harper's Ferry, which is sort of the honorary halfway point. Technically, mileage-wise, the halfway points in Pennsylvania, but uh, I don't know. It's where the the ATC is and all that sort of stuff, and uh, I don't know. It's a good spot to sort of feel like you've made it halfway. And so after after being there and sort of getting some new gear, cleaning up, definitely hanging out with a lot of people, I sort of set off on my own for a little bit. Um, people had different plans. Some people kept hiking and I actually wanted to, because I was so close to Annapolis, take a little break and go visit some family members. And, uh, so for three days I went and, uh, rented a car, headed on down and saw my cousin Bill and his family, which he had two daughters that I think were about four and six maybe at the time. And I'd actually never met them. So, you know, they're my cousins, and here I am coming off the trail. Uh, I I don't think I had a shaved head at that point. It, it started growing back a little bit, but I had a pretty decent-sized beard. And uh, I remember making sure to pick up a couple of little stuffed animals. They they were selling um, shelter shelter mice, stuffed animals, so... I brought some of them to those those two, and uh, they definitely love those. And brought like a you know an Appalachian Trail map, the big four foot one and stuff. And I don't know, it was it was kind of cool. I think it was it was my first time of seeing you know relatives when I was doing some sort of adventure, you know, and to to walk into a house as as that person was was pretty cool. I I don't know exactly what they thought about it, but it it definitely felt pretty neat to to sort of be that guy and had a great time ate tons of food uh boy i i could have probably stayed there for a long time but i knew i didn't want to take any more time than i i actually really needed because those breaks on the trail will sort of throw off your rhythm quite a bit and you can go from hiking 28 miles a day for a while take like a three-day break and then all of a sudden trying to get 15 miles is a struggle so trying to hold on to that momentum was pretty important to me or else I would have I definitely would have stayed a lot longer but I was also on the cusp of when when I returned back to the trail I was on the cusp of this cool thing that's it's basically the four-state challenge and between the very end of Virginia there's only a few miles in West Virginia, and then I think like maybe 30 miles or so, 35 miles, 40 miles maybe in uh, Maryland, and then you get to Pennsylvania. So the challenge is basically to walk that whole stretch in one shot so that you're covering four states or touching four states, I should say. And uh, 
I thought about it for a long time because I, I had done a couple of 30-mile days by then, super in shape, feeling really good, and it's mostly flat, easy trail at that point. You know, the middle, the south is pretty hilly and nasty, and then it sort of tapers off and, and flattens out in the middle, and then you get back up, you know, once you get up into uh, New Jersey, New York, and and then it starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but... At that point, I don't know, I I was sort of feeling like Virginia, we had picked up speed so much in that state that I was kind of feeling a little bit worried that the trail was going to end too fast and suddenly it was going to be over and I wanted to enjoy it and I wanted to sort of savor the time that I had on the trail. And I think a lot of people sort of get into that mode where they sort of, if they're really enjoying themselves, they realize that it's a once in a lifetime thing. You can never hike the AT for the first time ever again. And you do it a second, third time, whatever, it's, it's still never going to be the same. So I, I sort of flipped the challenge on its head and I wanted to, camp in every single state uh, along that way. So that meant a couple really easy days where I didn't hike very, very far at all. But um, I ended up doing my first night hike in Maryland. And it was a big super moon, uh, beautiful night. The weather's good. It's not cold or anything like that. And I just remember getting up on this ridgeline and there's, uh, there's this old sort of camp lookout spot up in uh up in maryland i'll try and try and find that what that that name of it was it, it sort of looks out over these cliffs it's really really cool and there was a caretaker there she was really awesome and uh, we sat and chatted for a while but i the plan was to sort of wait until the moon came out and then go ahead and start uh start hiking and it was a little bit scary just because I was definitely on my own at that point. So this would have been my first ever um, solo night night hike, which still, I don't know, it sort of scares me a little bit. But, um, okay, it's called High Rock. And I think it, well, maybe it is, who knows. But, um, yeah, it was, it was, I just wanted to get out there. I wanted to. I wanted to just sort of face my fears, and um, that moon came up. And most of the time on the trail, I didn't even really need a headlamp. But it was super freaky because there's noises, there's animals, and I'm disrupting everything. I remember singing, uh, always trying to talk to myself, anything I could to just make sure that I didn't stumble into into a bear or something like that. And um I don't know the the trail up there in Maryland is pretty amazing. The uh, one of the coolest shelters I ever saw was the Ed Garvey shelter, and I mean, just we're talking basically a log cabin. I think it was two sided, super clean. It had tent pads and everything. I mean, it was it was beautiful. Maryland, because they have such little trail, um, they definitely take care of of their little section of it because. By far the most manicured and best kept part of the trail. I I would recommend if anybody wanted to do just a section of the AT, although you're not going to get a real realistic uh, feel for the trail because 
that place is like it's like a, a whole different level of the AT. But if you wanted to go out and enjoy yourself, do a good forty miles or so, go hit up the section in Maryland. It's absolutely beautiful. Definitely lots of room for camping and staying in shelters, and it was just it was cool. It wasn't too hard. So if you're looking for a way to sort of spark your interest and get your foot in the door, it's uh it's a pretty good spot. But once you make it through Maryland, because it just goes by in a flash. I was only there for two days, especially after doing that night hike. I think that that whole like 24-hour period or that period where I was awake, because I think I didn't, I didn't stop hiking until maybe 2 in the morning, and I, I actually pulled into a place where there was campsites, and there was another tent there. And I just remember being all – I, all I could think of was that one Yahoo that we had met that <laughs> – that was trying to work out at like 11 o'clock at night with people trying to sleep in the shelter and uh, wondering why they were yelling at him. <laughs> I didn't want to be that guy. That's what I'm saying. Um, and so I, I tried to be as quiet as humanly possible, made sure I really, you know, didn't uh, <laughs> tried to tried to just stealth it out. And I think when I got up in the morning, the tent was still there. Uh, and I think I ended up, I didn't really say anything, but I don't think anybody was actually in it. I think it was like an abandoned one, which I, I had seen a few of those along the way and they're always a little sort of creepy. You can, you know, you can tell that they've been up for a long time. Everything's real saggy or the door's open or there's, you know, debris all around it and stuff, but you sort of never know because I think with some of the murders that have been on the trail over the decades, that's how they find the people is there's a tent and usually it's got to be like a smell and they go and look inside and there's <laughs> dead bodies. Not that that happens very often. Statistically, they say that if you draw a 2000 mile line anywhere in America, you're going to, you're going to find more murder cases on that line than on the AT. So that's my, it's my caveat there. That's not the right word. That's my excuse. My rationalization. There we go. But, you know, Mar- Maryland was just cool. And the fact that you are chalking up more and more states and all of a sudden it, it is. It's, it's, it's as if you begin this trail, you get through your first states, and you're, you're just throttling, putting the gas on a little bit. And then you hit Virginia and you go like full throttle because you're getting in shape and you're just flying down the trail. And then all of a sudden you hit four or three really short sections and all of a sudden you're you're more than halfway through on the number of states that you're going to cross. That's when for me it was sort of a little bit of a panic mode of of like, "Oh my gosh, no, this is this is going too fast. I got to slow down. I got to slow down." But one of the problems that I had was I really sort of enjoyed the hiking and I I didn't ever want to pull into camp at two o'clock in the afternoon and sit around for the next, I don't know, eight hours because I, I usually didn't go to sleep until, I don't know, 10, 11 at night. And so I would just sort of keep going and you can only hike so slow really. But, uh, I definitely would take a lot more breaks and whenever there were sort of scenic, overlooks and viewpoints and things like that I was I was definitely taking advantage of those a whole lot more uh, just to just to sort of add to each day and everything but you know I also 
I don't know. I there's there's something. It's such a such a weird comparison because part of you is is saying, "Man, I love making all these miles. This is great. I want to do like 28. I want to do 30 tomorrow." And then the other part of you is going, "Wow, this is going by too fast. I got to figure out how to slow it down." So you have this sort of internal battle going on. But once I did get into Pennsylvania, then you know, in the beginning, it's pretty flat. And I actually had my biggest day ever on the trail. Uh, that was what? That must have been like May, May 7th, where I ended up doing 40 miles in one day. And I absolutely wrecked my feet. Now, this is a section super crazy flat. It's uh, right in the beginning of Pennsylvania. I forget what, uh, let me look and see what little towns you go by. But it's it's like farmland. It's super, super easy. And when you, you get to the end of that little 40-mile section, I think is where you cross like I-80, I-11, uh, all these all these interstates and stuff. And um, once you get across them, I think it might be like Boiling Springs or something like that you go through. But um, it's all of a sudden there's there's hotels and motels. So you're sort of gunning, or at least I was. I was gunning just to get back off the trail and get to, a, get to another hotel. And I literally, my feet hurt so bad by the end of that. I could barely get up and walk around in the hotel room. So my legs could handle the miles, but my feet just, they were just burning up. I mean, so tender. I i could not believe it. And um, there was one little section. I know I was getting sort of delirious because towards the end of the day, maybe 36, 37 miles in, I'm getting close. And I stopped, took a little break, and I had passed this really old sort of abandoned little cemetery and pass by that a mile, and then I take my break, and I got up, and I'm walking, and I pass the cemetery, but it's on the other side, and I don't really think too much of it, but then all of a sudden, I sort of stop, and I'm like, wait a minute, and I luckily had taken a picture of the cemetery when I was going the other way, and realized that it was the exact same one, that's how, that's how sort of loopy I was in the head, and I was so glad because I I barely saw anybody on the trail at that point and um I would have I probably would have just kept going and going and going and and wondering why <laughs> why the the little town <laughs> was never showing up and I was kind of mad but in all actuality I think my hike would have only been 39 miles if I had not screwed that up so it it was sort of a blessing in disguise because whenever people say, you know, what was the most you hiked, I got to say 40 miles, which compared to what some of the other people had done, I knew I knew a couple people that did 50, 50 plus miles in a day, and they were definitely pretty super wrecked after that. But at the same time, it's, that's pretty cool. Just to be able to cover that much distance with a pack on your back is pretty incredible. I mean... You gotta have the right kind of shoes, I guess. But I don't know what was wrong with my feet. But man, it was it was something else. But some of the little towns that you go through in Pennsylvania, they're they're pretty interesting because they're you can tell that they are towns where in a previous life they were sort of booming and bustling, and now they're definitely 
on the downside. I mean, you know, boarded up storefronts. You'd walk down these main streets, and a lot of them have really cool old buildings and all this sort of stuff, but you can it's all, like, boarded up, and um, I don't know. It was kind of sad, you know. If that was a kind of a big awakening for me, hiking through all these little towns, because I'm from this little town in northern Michigan, which is sort of a touristy place, and for whatever reason, they've they've always been able to sort of maintain the downtown and even when Walmart and, and Home Depot and all those things came in, it never really affected the downtown too much. I mean, you know, obviously there's one or two spots, but for the most part, you would think that that little town is, is thriving. But what I got to witness along the trail was places that, you know, were, were in pretty rough times. And again, this is 2012, so... Um, obviously pre-pandemic and stuff i can't even imagine what those things are going through right now but i don't know it was it was crazy pennsylvania was definitely neat and there's one place that you get to uh it's this old hotel called the doyle and the doyle's like renowned to for hikers you get in there and it's this like three or four story old looking sort of victorian style hotel but it's turned into basically a hostel with a bar down below and the rooms are just awful i mean the room that i was in it's it's basically like just a mattress that's propped up uh i think there was a chair and maybe one light bare light bulb hanging from the ceiling and uh it was it was pretty bad but they have a bar down below and the funny thing was i remember watching in documentaries and reading some of the other books and almost everybody's experience is the same there's there's some locals that hang out in that bar because it's probably one of the only bars in this little town but (laughs) they, they always just give a whole bunch of flack to the hikers, you know, not, not being mean, but talking about bears and, you know, all that sort of stuff and just sort of being real rude. Cause you know, hikers come off that trail and if you, you know, you make eye contact with anybody, you just sit there and talk cause you haven't talked to anybody in so long. And so hikers are sort of typically pretty friendly when they come in and, and outgoing more so than normal. But so you, you saddle up to the bar, and you're like, hey, guys, how, how's it going? And they're like, you've seen any bears? <laughs> and that that sort of, I think just about everybody has that uh, that same experience. But when I got there, it was cool because there were a lot of other hikers that some of them I hadn't seen since Hiawassee in Georgia. Uh, there was just, it was like a big grouping together, and it was, it was pretty cool. Um just to sort of have a little bit of a reunion. And even though we weren't really hiking together anymore, I think this was sort of the the part where I sort of separated from any any of the groups and other people for for a pretty long while. Um, I don't know exactly what happened. I mean, off and on, I would go with other people, you know, for a day or something like that. But it seemed like at that point, I was pretty much camping by myself, hiking by myself for for the long haul. And I think partly it might have been because 
it was it was really fun hiking with Scuba Steve for you know the first two months essentially of the of the trail or first month of the trail and yeah I don't know I I think I just wanted to have a little bit of a change to have a different experience I you know I wanted to sort of spread it out I didn't want to do sort of one thing and then finish up the trail and be like oh, I wonder what it would have been like to sort of hike that by myself or hike it with a big group, which they call tramilies. Got my trail family. So I don't know. I, I actually, and as the story goes on, you'll hear, I, I ended up sort of dabbling a little bit of everything, you know, hiking with sort of a partner and then hiking by yourself and then hiking with a whole bunch of people. And I don't know, it, it sort of suited me. It gave me a, a pretty good grasp on what it's like to hike that trail in all sorts of different ways. And I, if I was pressed, I, I don't know. They all have different pros and cons. You know, when you're hiking with one other person, you can, you can still, you can make decisions pretty easy. There's that sense of camaraderie, especially when it's crummy out or it's something scary or whatever. When you're hiking by yourself, you don't miss out on anything because you're, you know, chatting away with something, uh, you know, all day or or when you're camping at night. So there's there's always that thing when you're solo, you seem to get immersed in your environment a whole lot more. And I even find that with sailing. You know, people ask me all the time if how come I never go and sail with other people. And it's not so much that I don't want to because I have, but um it it's a whole different feel it's a whole different adventure when you do it solo and and same you know when you're hiking and there was there was one night i'm pretty sure it was in pennsylvania where i i went along and i actually i think i i caught to a road and there was supposedly like a gas station or a tavern or something and i went on the hunt to get a couple of beers to bring back to the trail and it was already sunset and I knew I was going to do some stealth camping where, you know, I was just basically pulling off somewhere on the trail. And um, I don't think I got any beers. I couldn't find the tavern. So I got back into the woods, made it a, a mile or so away from the road, which you always want to do. The further away from the road, the the less chance of, of having, you know, a bunch of wily teenagers come out of the woodwork and you know, going out to party and they stumble across your campsite. I've, I've heard horror stories about that sort of stuff. But um, I I went and it was completely dark. Get on, figure, oh, this looks like a pretty good spot. It's like a little open section. There hadn't been too many. And maybe two, three hours later, middle of the night, all of a sudden I'm starting to hear a lot of noises. And I think the first noise I heard was the snorting of like a buck. And then I'm hearing all these other little noises and I, I poke my head out of the tent and shine this little flashlight around and all I see are eyes. There's like a, a, a little stand of deer, bunch of does in this buck. There's a couple skunks, there's raccoons. Um, I don't think there were any bears because I could really only see most of their eyes. But sort of as I'm scanning around, I sort of see not the trail, but a trail going off in one direction and then going off in the opposite direction. I realized that it's a, um, like a game trail. So I basically gotten off of the Appalachian trail, the designated human walking way and, uh, parked my tent right on the 
the wildlife walkway <laughs> and they were not happy about it. I'm sure all these animals just like bounding through the forest, coming over the hills, and then all of a sudden there's this big green tent right there. I was luckily I was in the tent, I wasn't under my tarp because that would have been even scarier. But man, it was uh it was a long night because even it's not like they're just gonna leave. They're they're trying to like go around me and and busting through the forest. So it was one of those long nights of just listening to sort of scary sounds in the woods and constantly coming up when when the sounds would get really close. You poke your head out, shine your light, try and scare whatever it is away, and then put your head down. And 20 minutes later, it happens again. But you know, it is what it is. That's 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 one of the downsides when you're alone. You know, when you have another person, that sort of stuff, it, it sort of gives you a little bit of confidence um, that <laughs> you wouldn't have when you're by yourself. But Pennsylvania's, uh, it's got a pretty bad reputation on the trail, and I've I've definitely said before that if I were to do the whole trail again, I would probably skip Pennsylvania just completely skip it and I, I would I would also skip probably the Smokies but uh, Pennsylvania the whole state which I want to say is I don't think it's 200 miles I'm just hitting my reference thing up because I, I want to make sure you know you guys are getting the uh, the actual mileage and actual information so Pennsylvania starts at mile 1000. 67 and it ends at mile. 1,296. So, okay. So it's like 220 miles, uh, hiking in Pennsylvania. And by the way, I am pulling a lot of the information out of my journal, but also from the AT through hikers companion, which is the one that I used to hike the trail back in 2012. The other one that I saw a lot of people had was, um, a wall. And I don't know if he does the, trail guide anymore but the cool thing about his was that he had the actual terrain you it's like a basically a a a side view of the mountain terrain that you're going to be going up and down and that was super helpful this book didn't used to have it um i actually took and cut out the bottom of the maps that had the terrain guide on it and i carried those with me but now since I don't know whatever year, but the, I have the 2000 version, and the terrain guides are in here as well. So, if you're looking for a, a decent, decent through hikers companion, this is the way to go. Uh, I would say. I mean, it's the one that I use, and it says here right in the corner, Appalachian Trail official guidebook. Wow. So it's definitely cool, and I I would recommend to anybody that's thinking about doing the AT. Uh, either next year or the year after or anytime, um, order this thing. You know, it's it's not very expensive, and obviously you can get it at your local bookshop or uh, whatever. But it's it's pretty amazing um, the way that once you start reading it, you start thinking more and more about it because all these little towns and trails and lookouts and camp spots. I don't know, gets me all super psyched up. But um, so. Pennsylvania's reputation really comes from two things. Well, actually, I want to say it's three, really. It's rocks. So the trail in a lot of sections is made completely up of rocks. Two is you've got rattlesnakes there. And then three is the ticks. 
Um, you're really getting into tick country, Lyme disease, all that sort of stuff um, by the time you get in Pennsylvania. And that's a pretty gnarly worry these days. I think it's just escalating more and more. I think the epicenter is Connecticut, um, but it reaches all the way up to Maine and pretty much all the way down to the northern part of Virginia. <clears throat> I think in the U.S., the only other spot really that's infested with Lyme disease is Minnesota. And I can only, I can only theorize that because a lot of people go hiking in the boundary waters, that's probably how it got taken over there. But <clears throat> in any event, you got to worry about those things. And the first one rocks. There's nothing you can do about it. But try and really keep a good footing. Take it slow. That's I think that's one of the hardest things. You know, when you're used to just tunneling down the trail at three to four miles an hour, when you're skipping over all these rocks, and we're talking sometimes they're rocks the size of dinner plates, and they're just literally, it's just like a, the trail has turned into a pile of rocks, and some of them tip and do all that. You want to keep that speed up, but you can't. If you do that, you're, you're destined to twist an ankle or, or do anything. I, I forget what they said in, in Bill Bryson's book, but it was like uh, Pennsylvania is the place where boots go to die. And you do. You definitely destroy your shoes. Um, by that point, I was wearing just regular like cross-training shoes or whatever. But uh, it's it's pretty bad, and it just sort of slows you down. And the minute you think, like, this can't go on for much longer, it's miles and miles. Sometimes it's all day you're just spending going basically rock hopping. And uh, even though there's not a huge amount of big hills or anything like that in, in Pennsylvania, it's still – the, the fact that the the actual trail is much more difficult is is kind of shocking. And with the rattlesnakes, I only saw one, but I was I was sitting there and I remember I'm just hiking sort of da 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 and it was all nice trail at that point. Lots of lots of old dead brown leaves and stuff. And I was looking down, switching whatever song or something like that that I was listening to, and just behind my little MP3 player, I see the outline or those stripes of a snake, and it's sort of half, it's it's laying across the trail. I still to this day don't even know if it was dead or alive. Figured I just wasn't going to mess with it. Because really, I mean, when you're alone, again, if you're solo, you you push your luck on something like that, and you're you're alone. I mean, how, if a rattlesnake bites you, I don't even know how far you'd be able to make it before the venom <laughs> takes its toll, and and you no longer can keep moving. But uh, or even if that's the case, but in any event, uh, I was really glad because I I I could have just walked right past it or stepped on it or whatever. But half of it was covered in leaves or whatever, and then the other. The other half was exposed along the trail, and it was thick. I mean, this thing was big. And I just thought to myself, holy smokes. But luckily, you know, from what I'm told, if you get pretty close, they, they can sense you coming from a lot further away than you'll ever see them because they're feeling the vibrations and all that sort of stuff. So they'll, they'll start hitting that rattle pretty hard uh, if they feel like they're, they're being approached upon. <clears throat> but that was my only... Only rattlesnake incident on the whole trail. So, but supposedly they're there and you're climbing around on the rocks. I mean, you always just want to make sure you watch where you're going to sit and take a little uh, afternoon lunch break, I suppose. 
But the worst one, for me at least, was the ticks. The ticks, and I, I, deer ticks that carry Lyme disease are so small before they've bitten into you and have engorged on the blood of their host. Uh, they're like as tiny as a grain of sand. And you got to remember, you are filthy. So there's dirt and dirt particles all over your skin, your arms, your body, your legs. It's halfway impossible. You know, they say, oh, make sure you do a tick check. Well, the only way you're going to see one of these ticks is if it's fully engorged and it's already pretty much done all the damage it's going to do. Now, not all of these carry Lyme disease. So if you find one, the smart thing to do is is basically go and either draw a little circle around it or uh, somehow remember exactly where it bit you so that you just keep an eye on it and make sure you don't get that that bullseye sort of rash uh, around it. Because if you do, then immediately to the hospital, the sooner you get it treated, the the easier it is to deal with it. Because I think if it's, if it's left untreated, it can literally do one of a thousand things to you, uh, including kill you. So Lyme disease is definitely a pretty scary one, but I was encountering uh, wood ticks, which are those little burgundy-colored mini tanks. And, um, man, they were everywhere. I remember going up Lehigh Gap, which you cross this highway, and then it's sort of a rock scramble, like maybe a 1,000 feet or so, and... It's you're right next to this old zinc zinc mill. This is all near Palmerton, and the whole thing is a super fun site because of all the pollution from the zinc smelt. And so there's not a lot of trees. There's there's definitely a lot growing now, but you can tell that it's it's been pretty ravaged. And some of the hillsides that are around the area are, are completely barren. But as I was walking the trail, I mean, you see this just rusted out old school industry that. It looks like it, it belonged in, in 1910 and not in 2012. But uh, as you're walking, it's it's mostly tall grass. And on the grass, I, I'm not kidding you at all, almost, I'd say, every foot or two, there was another tick just sitting there. And these, these are like the size of, like, I don't want to say a thumbtack, a little smaller, maybe half the size of one of those flat thumbtacks. But they, if you look at them really close, so they hang out on the end of the, the blade of grass and their arms are reaching out. And I don't know what they sense. They must sense your body heat or something. But they're just sitting there and they're, they're holding their little, little mittens out because if they can even just get brushed on, then they cling right onto you. And it's kind of like they're asking you for a big hug, like, oh, hey, hug me. And you're just walking through this this basically gauntlet of these things. And they're, I was wearing gaiters, which were almost knee-high, and they were covered with a chemical spray called permethean, I believe. Uh, and it's supposed to be sort of a long-lasting tick repellent uh, that I had, I had sprayed the stuff down with before I left. And then I sprayed, or no, I sprayed it down before I left Virginia. And... It's it's one of those ones where there were so many warning labels on this this spray that it was really kind of nerve wracking. You know, it's like wash your hands, don't eat anything, don't let it touch your skin. So it was just for 
sort of the outer layers. And there were definitely times where I sort of watched. I did experiments, you know, where I'd, I'd rub up against the tick and it would grab on, but then it would drop off. Um, but if they ever got on my leg, then they were crawling right up. And believe it or not, to my own knowledge, I don't think I ever had to pull a tick off of my body. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't have one because I wasn't really doing much of a tick check. I mean, typically I would, you know, at night when I'm in my sleeping bag or whatever, I kind of try and run my hands over uh, as much of my body as I can just to feel and make sure I'm not all of a sudden like, oh, uh-oh, got one. Because when I've been camping up in Minnesota, up in Boundary Waters, holy cow, we, <laughs> me and a bunch of buddies camped on what we called Tick Island one time and we're all canoeing. We were up there for like two weeks. We get to this one island and loving it. Like we're thinking, oh, this is going to be great. We don't have to hang our food. It's a small little island. And a buddy of mine takes his shirt off and like boom, boom, boom. He's got three ticks on him. And we're like, oh, my gosh, dude, you got ticks on you. And then all of a sudden somebody was like, oh, we better check. And lo and behold, it was it was like out of Stand By Me where the with the leeches, everybody's pulling their shirts off and their pants up. And they're like, oh, no, you got one. I got one. And we're all like helping each other yank them off. And on that trip, they were so bad that I, I still remember finding a tick on me and, and not even pulling it off. Just, just being like, well, it's going to feast and then it's going to fall off. But again, those were just wood ticks. So I don't know. Don't take my word for it, but I don't think they can carry Lyme disease. Uh, so, again, don't take my word for it, but that's what I believe. So wasn't too worried about those. But, yeah, in Pennsylvania, I don't know. It's just it's it's gross. I hate ticks. And the worst part about them, you know, if you have a tick on you, if you just flick it off, like say you're at your campsite, basically that tick is going to land wherever it lands and then just start walking right back towards you. So the only thing you can do is either – capture them and put them in a little jar or um, actually kill them which to kill a tick and I don't I don't recommend killing anything you know I'm a bit of a pacifist I guess but you you have to crunch it together with like two rocks you can't physically squish a tick between your fingers I I definitely had tried a few times and they're just they're literally like nature's miniature tanks so I used to collect a bunch in jars and uh I can't remember where I released them. There was one time where I released a bunch of them, maybe 10, 10 or 12. And I, I remember thinking to myself, geez, that was, that was really dumb. Because <laughs> that just means I've basically created a little, I've moved these things 50 miles and just let them go. But I don't know. I must have been really sunny and hot that day. Sort of lost my mind. But uh, PA, you know. It definitely has some cool, cool spots. It has the official halfway point, which has a, a great signpost. And word is that the signpost gets stolen every couple of years. Uh, it's, it's this really intricate, very, very cool thing. Maybe I'll, if I, what I'll do is I'll, for the thumbnail on Podbean, I'll, I'll put a picture of the halfway point for this podcast, this episode. But it was, it's just neat. You get there and you know that that's the dead set middle of the road you've made it halfway on the at it's like 1100 and i don't know 60 something miles in either direction and and so it's psychologically it sort of does something to you and i lingered there for a long time because it's it's almost in some ways it's almost like getting to the peak of the mountain and then starting your way down you know that 
you're now getting closer to the finish than you were, or you're getting closer to the finish and further away from the start. And as obvious of a thing as that is, when it really sort of sinks in, you realize that, oh man, okay, we are getting into the end. So a lot of my journal entries at this point really talk about trying to cherish the time that I have. And, and, and maybe that's why I decided to sort of go solo for a while because I knew that I knew that that way I would sort of soak up every last bit of my experience on the AT. Um, you know, I still camped with people every once in a while, but for the most part, yeah, it was just, just me. Plus, there aren't that many people left. I mean, most of the people, I think by the halfway point, well more than half of the people that have started the AT have already quit. So it's it's definitely uh, pretty pretty tough stuff. But, you know, you just keep plugging away. And really, Pennsylvania is not um, doesn't have a, a huge amount of great stuff. You're sort of just trying to push through because as soon as you get through PA, then you start getting into bigger hills um, New Jersey, we'll get into that. I'm going to, I'm going to stop at the end of Pennsylvania for this one. Um, but all in all, it was really by, by the middle section, I was, I was kind of shocked because you're just, you're so transformed. You're so turned into this AT through hiker. And as long as you made it through Virginia, then all of a sudden, you're just thinking to yourself, holy cow, we're, we're, we're going to actually make it. Like I, I feel very confident that I can keep going no matter what you hear about all the stuff up in Maine and all this and how hard the whites are. That stuff doesn't really phase you at that point. You've been through so many experiences, so many hardships, so many rainstorms, all that sort of stuff. Um, I will say though, one of the other problems with PA and this obviously is just a year to year thing because it deals with the weather, but boy, there was not a lot of water. Most of the time, if you got to, and even in the trail guide, it says in a lot of sections, excuse me, that, you know, there'd be signs that say, oh, okay, spring half mile down the side trail. And then you get to that and it would say, if, if this spring is dry, go another half mile. And sometimes you're going, you know, three miles round trip just to get, just to be able to take a break from water. And in the beginning, back in the South, the deep South, you're, you're walking over stream every 20 minutes, it seems. So water's just never really a thought. And then all of a sudden it became very scarce. And again, we had a really dry year, um, not excessively dry by any means, but in the midsection in, you know, the, um, I guess it would have been May. Yeah, it would have been sometime May when I was there. Um, it was it was hot, it was dry, and there was just not a lot. So, and there's a lot of sections in in Pennsylvania where you actually can't drink the water because it's it's so polluted uh, in certain areas like that Superfund site. I mean, not going to exactly go digging around trying to drink Superfund water. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. It was it was it was pretty cool and. I think the best part of Pennsylvania is when you actually leave it. <laughs> no, it is. It was it was pretty beautiful and and besides the rocks and the ticks and all that sort of stuff, it's um it's just another chunk of the trail, but once you get to that halfway point, holy smokes, it is it's pretty crazy. Oh man. And 
I, I, for whatever reason, I passed the, uh, when you get to that halfway point, I passed by, oh man, it's uh, something furnace. Where is it? Let me get that name for you. So for the hat to celebrate the halfway point, they do what's called the half gallon challenge. I'm sure if you know anything about the AT, you know about you know about it. But basically, at this one little, uh, I think it's like a state park or something like that. There's a um, there's a little sort of general store and God, it's at something Pine Grove Forest, I believe, is what it's called. Let's see. I'm gonna find it because I don't. I definitely don't want to give anybody uh, any bad information. Well, who knows? But in any event, there's a furnace there, an old one where they used to smelt stuff. <laughs> it's a general store, and that's where you get you get a half gallon of ice cream and see if you can eat it. And most AT hikers, I think, just plow right through it, no big deal. But uh, for whatever dumb reason, I decided, or the stars aligned, and I went through there on a Sunday, and so the place was closed, and I never got to do it, but... You know, I wasn't too worried. Um, I ate so many pints of Ben and Jerry's ice cream along that trail. Uh, I didn't need to prove that I could eat a whole half gallon uh, at any point. But so PA came and went, and then uh, then I was off into the world of the bears. But uh, we're gonna get into that on the next one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna probably do sort of the the New England states. So New Jersey, New York. Uh, Connecticut, Massachusetts, and then, then we'll get into, uh, doing the last, the last big States where the mountains get really tall. So keep these installments coming and, uh, hopefully we'll get some more interviews going. I've been trying, I, it's so crazy. I've got all these people that I want to interview down here. Uh, but whenever I bring it up, they seem to want to sort of shy away and not do it, but we'll see. Hopefully, Hopefully I'll be able to sort of goat some of these guys in because they've all got such incredible stories that it's just absolutely amazing to sit down with these these fellow sailors and and just hear how they went from that transition of, you know, I've got a nine-to-five job. I don't really like it. I'm going to get a sailboat and start cruising around and see this world. So hopefully we'll be bringing you some more stuff like that. Uh, but uh, we'll we'll continue on with the AT the AT stories and uh, really get into the thick of it when we get into Jersey and uh, and further north because it definitely starts to get pretty interesting and some more challenges and things like that. This this middle section is is definitely it was a bit strange. Just being out there was I I don't want to say you were sort of zombie like, but all that time in Virginia with sort of the rolling Blue Ridge Mountains, you sort of get lulled into this hypnotic zone. And then all of a sudden you're you're hopping through all these different states and you don't really know what's going on. And sort of, I think by the end of PA, you really, I started to want to not like schedule the rest of the hike by any means, but kind of focus in and... I don't know, take step back, take a big look at the rest of the, my time that I had out there and make sure that I was using it wisely and doing it the way that I really wanted to do it. And instead of the planning I did before I got on the trail, cause I didn't know anything about it. Now I'm sort of a seasoned hiker and I'm looking at, you know, another thousand miles 
how I want to handle it, what I want to do. So it's it's sort of I I thought of the whole midsection PA section as a bit of a transformation and a transition from newbie hiker to experienced through hiker uh, with still a good thousand miles of trail left to do. So very very cool. But ye be warned, there is a bunch of rocks, bunch of snakes, bunch of ticks, and uh, oh, and <laughs> some of the worst, worst flea bag hotels ever. Though I will, I will give a shout out to one in particular, and this was um, at a place called Wind Gap in Pennsylvania, and. <laughs> I, I pulled in there. It was raining, and I got to this place, and literally it looked like there was a junkyard out front. You didn't even know if this place was open. And I went in, and I believe it was $25 a night for the room. I got in the room, and there's I don't think they were blood stains, but they sort of looked like it. There's duct tape patches all over the walls. Um, I mean, it smelled awful. I loved it because I was coming out of the filthy forest and I was disgusting and any room is a palace when you come off the AT. But I took tons of pictures of this place and still to this day when I see them, I, I can picture myself being in that room and just thinking, of, oh my gosh, holy cow, this is, this is pretty pretty dingy. <laughs> so there is a lot of local color when you get to PA and the people are nice. Um Besides those those old uh, surly, the old surly guys at the bar at uh, in I think that's in Duncannon. <laughs> but all in all, PA was great, and uh, we'll continue on in the next uh, week or so with the rest of the trail. All right, hey everybody, thanks for listening. And if you enjoy the podcast and want to support it, just go to Podbean.com and you can become a patron. And keep the show on the air. Also, if you like the music at the beginning. The album is called Deep Teal, and the artist is Adrian Edson. It's available on Amazon Music. And if you want the full story of the trip around the world, the book, the Kindle book, and the audiobook can all be found on Amazon.com, Sailing into Oblivion, the solo nonstop voyage of the mighty sparrow. Fair winds and following seas.